Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love you have for us, for the fact that you set yourself aside, your one and only Son, to die for us, that we could be reunited with you. We pray that this morning's word would stick with us, resonate with us, and help us to cling to you more. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, with the weird passages for Thanksgiving, just keeping you guys on your toes, we're in Mark chapter 5 this morning, starting at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told, the pigs, or told about the pigs as well. They didn't tell the pigs. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the, de- the man who had been possessed by demons begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went and began to tell in the, Deca- the, 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 the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. May God add his blessing as we continue in worship. So I hope I kept you on your toes sufficiently this Easter season with my choice in passages. Now, what did I say? Oh, still got my brain on Easter, I guess. Thank you. I appreciate the corrections. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I do, Ken. I hop around all over the place. Well, thank you. I feel like a misguided rabbit sometimes, but, you know. Well, that's probably a fair statement. This is a really interesting passage and kind of a weird one. There's a lot going on here, and there's a lot to unpack. But I think that there is a lot we can really glean from looking into this story. In some ways, this feels like one of those stories that they break out in Sunday school, and in other ways, it's like this is one of those passages where there's enough going on where we kind of overlook some of those details. Because it's a little bit bizarre. So... They are 
going around. You know, Jesus is running around and he's doing his ministry. And they are crossing the lake and they get to the region of the Gerasenes. And when he gets out of the boat, there is this guy who's hanging out in like a cemetery. It says he came out of the tombs. And he was possessed by demons. And he lived in the cemetery. And people had tried different ways to tie this guy down to keep him away from the city. Uh, They tried chains. They tried shackling him up. All kinds of things. But he'd always break loose. It says no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. How many of you have worked with chains before? See a few hands. It's one of the tools that we've had around for a long period of time, and they are still, to this day, a very strong and frequently used item in mechanical labor of different sorts. Uh, There's a very good chance that you have one in your car that helps your engine to run properly and stay in time. Some of them use belts, but some of them use chains because a chain won't break or wear out in the same way that a belt does. It doesn't really stretch. In a similar way, if you're logging, chains are still used very frequently in logging. Because if you have a nice, good-sized hook that'll slide through the chain, well, around the chain, not through the chain, the chain will take that slack out in a way that a rope couldn't. Even with a slip slip knot, it might bind up on you. But the chain would just kind of slide right through and still have that strength that it needs to pull the log out. But this guy, because of the demons that were inside of him plaguing him, he was able to just break through chains, which is kind of a terrifying thought. He'd often been chained, hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the shackles, the irons at his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. This man was chained up. Chains are heavy. If you've never picked up a chain, it's heavier than you would think. You would look at it and you would think, oh, you know, it's just kind of like a rope but made out of metal. How heavy could it be? And then you go to pick the darn thing up. They're heavy. They're dense. They've got a weight to them. And when you drop it to the ground, there's this clinking noise and a thud when it hits the ground. And I think in a lot of ways, we face chains in our day-to-day lives. We're shackled up with burdens. Actually, I don't know if you guys remember, but about a month ago, Ray Kibbe came up and he led us in a hymn. And in that hymn, there's a line, shackled neath a heavy burden. Cumbered by a load of care. Now, when it says cumbered by a load of care, that kind of sounds like, you know, oh boy, I am so overwhelmed with love and joy, there's all this care. No, it's talking about the cares, the worries of this world. The grief, the sorrow, the anguish. All of these things that 
you care about, that you worry about, they add up. And you end up carrying around this huge load. And it weighs you down. We see not only was this guy who was possessed by demons shackled, literally, but he also had some mental and emotional struggles. He was running around cutting himself on the rocks. I want to encourage you. There are people, and it is more frequent than we would care to admit, who struggle with this, who injure themselves for different reasons and in different ways. And that's hard. And it hurts. And they feel led to do these different things because of the weight of this world bearing down on their shoulders. We know that all too well. And this guy, he was running around, he was doing that to himself. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he immediately ran up to Jesus. He ran. He fell on his hands and his knees, and he starts begging Jesus. Unfortunately for us, whether it's out of stubbornness, whether it's out of this idea that we can handle it, we can take it, or that American mindset of suck it up, buttercup, strap, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just deal with it. It is what it is. Suck it up. Move on. And we're told to ignore all of these different things, these feelings, and act like they don't matter. But they're important. And yet we run around carrying these things with us day in and day out. But this guy, he had the right idea. He came up and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he asked for deliverance. Now something else interesting happens here. He says, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Now, this is not really the man. This is those demons speaking. If we look at it, the demons are asking Jesus for something. Kind of an interesting and strange thing. But they still recognize the power of God. It reminds me of another passage that's talking about faith. James is talking about the balance of faith and deeds or work, what we have to do for our faith versus what we believe and how those two things engage with one another. Because some people have this idea that, you know, all you got to do is believe it in your head and then you're all good to go. But if it doesn't impact your life, his argument is, that's not really a faith. That's like saying, I believe it's important to drive with a seatbelt on and then never do it.
and the consequences of that action can be quite fatal. If you truly believe in God, then you should be acting like it. You should be living like it. And he says, even the demons believe that there is one God. They believe and they shudder. And that's what's happening right here in this passage. The demons recognize Jesus and they're shuddering. They know what Jesus could do to them. They know what they have deserved. And so they are begging for mercy from Jesus. This is one of the few times when Jesus asks a question. He asks the Pharisees some questions in answering their questions. And sometimes he asks these other questions. And he asks them, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Now, for a little context, pigs in the Jewish culture, and Jesus was a Jew, pigs would have been a very dirty animal. They have all these ideas of things that are clean and things that are unclean. And pigs are in the unclean category. They didn't associate with pigs. They didn't eat pigs. In fact, that's why, that's part of why the story of the prodigal son shows just how low this guy was at the bottom of the bottom because he was eating with pigs. And that was a big no-no. You wouldn't even be near a pig, let alone feeding them and eating with them. So pigs, they were this dirty creature that the Jews didn't have anything to do with them. They didn't farm them. They didn't eat them. They didn't, uh uh-uh, no. And so the fact that Jesus was in a region with pigs means that he wasn't just hanging out with Jews at this point. He was running around and, and sharing the truth of the kingdom of God being at hand with other people. And so as they're in this region, they happen to be near all these pig farmers who would not have been believers And that will come into play a little bit later. But these demons, they're begging. They're saying, hey, please send us into these pigs. So Jesus gives them permission, and they leave the man, and they go into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. That's a crazy thing to happen. That's not something that's just a normal, you know, Tuesday afternoon. Oh, yeah, all of our neighbor's pigs, they stampeded off the cliff and into the lake, and they all drowned. That would be a rough day if you're that farmer. I would not be a happy farmer. In fact, when they came back to Jesus, there were two very different things going on. There's the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. There's two very different things going on. There's the people who are begging Jesus to leave. They're probably about ready to get out their torches and their pitchforks because this guy killed 2,000 of their livestock dealing with this crazy man. And then 
There's the man who experienced deliverance, sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus. Now this, this is why I picked this passage. It's not, a, not so much about the miracle, not about the pigs. It's about this man who had been delivered from the lowest part in his life, sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we struggle with that. That's why I picked that song. Oftentimes, we don't sit in silence. Now, for some of you, especially parents of younger kids, it's hard to even find silence or remember what silence used to be like. But for the rest of us, it's so easy to allow ourselves to be drowned out by distractions, whether it's this stupid smartphone in your front pocket, or whether it's your TV at home, it's always on, so there's some kind of noise going on, whether it's like the example in the song, the radio on your way back and forth to work. There's always something to keep you distracted, to keep you from sitting with your own thoughts. Because it can be uncomfortable. The silence, recognizing what emotions we have, the things that are going on in our lives, and letting those thoughts sit with us. We've lost the art of silence. I think that in recognizing what Jesus has done for us in our lives is worthy of sitting in a little bit of reflection. I think when we read God's word, we need to be better about taking time and just sitting with it, letting it ruminate like a good soup. Guys like soup. Yeah, no, eh. I saw one hand. Gene likes soup, but he didn't leave his hand up wrong. I don't know if he's not committed to liking soup or what, but if you're cooking soup, everybody knows the best soup is one that has sat there for a long time. You put that bad boy on a low simmer, and you just let it cook. Sure, you can pull out a can of Campbell's, and you can pop it in a big bowl and put it in your microwave for three minutes and stir it up, and you can eat it. But if you want good soup, that's work. Some people even go so, so far as to use broth bones, and they cook out the marrow, and they let it sit, and they boil it down. Then they add in some water, and they boil it down some more. Then they add in their vegetables. They boil it down some more. They let the flavors seep in. They let it sit and cook. And sometimes, even after you've put in the noodles and you've had your first couple of bowls and you've had to take the leftovers and you put it in your fridge and you go back the next day, sometimes it's still better the next day because it's still sat in those flavors. 
If we have the patience to do that with soup, sits in a pot, and then you put it in some Tupperware, and then you put it in your fridge, why can't we do that with God's Word? Why can't we do that with what God's doing in our lives? I think that for some of us, we don't necessarily think to do that. It's not one of those things that we talk about all the time. And I think for some of us, we might be afraid. Because when you sit in silence, when you sit with your thoughts, when you sit with God's word, there's going to be some of it that you struggle with. There are some times when I read scripture and I recognize that the man I see in the mirror when I'm brushing my teeth isn't the man that I'd like to see. That I've got room to grow. That I still fail and hurt people I care about and don't follow the Lord the way that I should. And so sometimes it's hard to sit with that guy. Because I don't want to hang out with him sometimes. I can't get rid of him anyway, you know? He's always there because he's me. There's a famous pop singer out there who has a song came out about a year ago where some of the main lyrics are, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Sometimes we don't want to sit with that. Sometimes we don't want to own up to the fact that we're messed up because those feelings are heavy. And this guy who'd been running around naked, cutting himself on rocks, breaking out of chains, living in a graveyard, had been delivered from that because he recognized who Jesus was, fell at his feet, and asked, I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you just sat with Jesus? I know everybody's got different lives and different routines. But when's the last time you just sat down and had a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or, you know, whatever it is that you like to do with your friends when you're hanging out? When's the last time you hung out with Jesus? And I don't just mean, you know, spending five minutes reading your Bible in a rush to get your devotions and put your sticker on your calendar. I say sticker on the calendar, not flippantly. I actually have a calendar hanging on my fridge with stickers on it. I was encouraged by a friend. I was struggling with devotions for a while. I'd kick it around. I'd be pretty good. I'd, I'd do, you know, a few days in a row, and then I'd miss a couple days. And then I'd do a few days in a row, and I'd miss a couple days. And I was telling this guy for months how I was, you know, struggling to really be consistent. And one day, I think I was gone on vacation or something. I was gone for a couple of days, and I come back, and there's a box sitting outside my office. And it says, call me when you open this. And I open it up, and there's a pack of 300 Scooby-Doo stickers and a calendar. And <laughs> well, we were already more than 65 days into the year. It was, I think, June when he mailed it to me. I think I had just come back from that youth retreat 
like youth leadership retreat that was out in New Jersey. But anyway, I come back and I've got this box of stickers and this calendar and a couple of magnets with little hooks on it. And I knew immediately what it was for because he was telling me that he was doing something similar for his kids to encourage them to do their chores and stuff around the house. And he's like, this might not work, but, you know, what the heck, give it a shot, right? I probably only missed about a dozen days of devotion since then, and that was months ago. Now, that's not to say that you need to have a sticker chart to make sure you have time with Jesus. But different things work for different people. It's enough to look at that and to remember and to remind myself, like, have I done that? And that's not to say that I'm perfect and I have it all figured out because, oh, look at me, I've got big stickers on my calendar and you don't, ha, ha, ha. That'd be pretty silly, right? But we do that sometimes. The point is actually doing the work and setting aside that time to be with the one who saved us. What I think is really cool is after this, after this guy's delivered, Jesus is getting ready to leave. Everybody's begging him to leave, except for the guy who'd been delivered from the demons. Everybody else is like, dude, you killed our pigs. This is freaky. Like, get out of town, please. We're begging you. We don't know what's going on with you, but we don't like it. Please go. And so Jesus is getting ready to leave with his disciples. And they'd just gotten there on the boat, too. It's not like he'd been there a long time. And the man who'd been possessed, we don't even get his name. But he's begging. He's like, Jesus, please, let me go with you. Let me follow you. Let me be like one of these guys you're with. And Jesus didn't let him. Instead, he gave him a mission. He gave him a job, a calling. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now the Decapolis... We don't really have a modern-day equivalent. It's kind of like a cross between a local coffee shop and a TED Talk. The idea is people would go there, and they would just hang out, and they would talk about stuff. They would talk about these things that they heard, new teachings, philosophy. They would just kind of hang out, and it was you know a bunch of brainiacs hanging out, talking. And this guy, he went and he told them about what Jesus did for him. He went and he shared his story. Now, I want to ask you, what is your testimony? Sometimes we throw out that word because it's one of those big churchy words. But the real question is, what's your story? What has Jesus done for you? I hope you weren't at some point running around a graveyard naked with chains, cutting yourselves on the headstones. But I'm sure you were delivered from something. It might not feel like your story's some big, magnificent, flashy thing. That's okay. 
Your story doesn't have to be that you were in prison for 15 years and you got all these tattoos and you're some person who used to be some big bad dude and now you're just following Jesus. It's okay if your story was, you know, I grew up at Greenfield Baptist Church. I was practically born in the pew. I'm sure some of you Bartlett's are laughing because you resonate with those statements. That's okay if that's your story because you know what? One, praise God that your family loves Jesus and loves you so much that that's how they raised you. And two, just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that you or your life has been perfect. Oh, I know. Shocking, right? Just because you've been around the church for ages doesn't mean that you haven't had struggles, doesn't mean that you can't say, God has delivered me in this way. And it doesn't mean that he hasn't moved in magnificent ways, too. Or blessed you with wonderful things and given you joy. So the question is, what's your story? And who can you share it with? We all have different circles of influence, different people that we hang around. For example, I graduated from Fairview High School, right? I'm from the west side of town. I probably know some people that you guys don't know because I'm from a different part of town. I might be able to share my story with people you'd never meet or have met. In a similar way, in your place of work, in your community, in the people that you run into on a day-to-day basis, you can show them who Jesus is and share your story. Because nobody can take your story from you. Nobody can say, nah, that didn't happen. Unless you're lying. But this shouldn't be a fish story. This is a Jesus story. Because at the end of the day, it's not even just about you. If we look at the Gospels, it's not like when we read the Gospel of Mark where it talks about, I, Mark, did all this cool stuff. I got to see this, I got to see this, I got to see this. Jesus and I did this. Aren't I super cool? Look at me. I'm Mark. That's not what it says at all. In fact, in the book of John, John wouldn't even say his own name because he didn't feel worthy of it. He just referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved because it wasn't about John. Now, I'm not saying that you aren't important, but I am going to say if you look at the story of your life, At the end of the day, it should be pointing back to Jesus. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Not a lot, though. Remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about giving back to God. 
about all these different things that people have, all these different gifts that we're given, all these different talents and treasures that the Lord has blessed us with and laying it on the altar. That's what Wednesday night is going to be about. Thanksgiving Eve service, I'm not going to come up and give a whole big old sermon. You guys are going to be the sermon. Your lives, the things that you bring before the Lord, that's going to be the real message of Wednesday. We're going to come together and we're going to have a potluck dinner of whatever people feel led to bring. And knowing Greenfield Baptist Church, it might be that we have three dozen pies and like two vegetables, and that's okay. That's, yeah, yeah, that is great. <laughs> Kenny said that might be too many vegetables if you didn't hear him. But we're going to enjoy what the Lord has given us. And we're going to put it on the altar. I'm going to take the pilgrims and the tractor and the turkey and the pumpkins. I'm going to clear all that stuff off of there. It's going to be bare. There's not even going to be a tablecloth on there. And whatever you feel led to put on this altar is what we're going to put on there. Now, I've had a few questions about that. Number one. Whatever it is, we're not going to keep it indefinitely. All right? Now, that's not to say that we couldn't or that that wouldn't be a powerful thing. But I've asked some of you to bring things from work. You, you should probably return things from work back to work if it's still important for your job. For some of you, I've asked you to bring things from, you know, perhaps your own home if you work from home, um, or if your job is to be a homemaker, we're not trying to steal all of your cleaning supplies or all of your, um, you know, paperwork or anything like that. But at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to present those things before the Lord, and we want to show Him the fact that we are giving Him our first fruits, that we are giving Him the best of what we have to offer. Brian, I don't know that I really need brake pads up on the altar. But they're important. And besides, I don't know if, you know, the brake pads that you would bring would do anything for our tractors or my car or Dan's car or his truck. But they would mean something to Brian. Yeah, that is your dad. I did tell Kenny whatever he brings to the altar, it needs to be clean, though. I did, I did put that caveat out there. <laughs> Ken said he's still looking. He's a plumber, uh, and so if that wasn't clear, there's a reason why it needs to be clean, whatever he's bringing. So at the end of the day, on Wednesday... I want to see this, well, I don't really want to be able to see the altar. I want it to be covered in whatever the Lord leads you to bring before him as your best offering. Now, my thought and my hope was we could leave it up for Sunday in case someone isn't able to be here on Wednesday and that you could then take it home on Sunday so that we can let everyone see what has been brought before the Lord.
That was my hope and intent. So after, after we get our fill in the gym and we've eaten plenty, the praise team's going to filter on up and we're going to start praising the Lord with thanksgiving. It's going to be a party. We've got like, I think, 14 or 15 songs picked out and we're going to jam out. And we're going to praise our God and give Him thanks. And during one of those songs, like right beforehand, I'm going to come up, I'm going to give a little two-minute devotion, nothing crazy, nice and short and simple. And during the song after that, I'm going to encourage everyone to come up and present their offerings before the Lord. So if you haven't been thinking about what first fruits you have to offer, I want to encourage you to pray. If you don't normally come to Thanksgiving Eve, I want you to think about it. If you're not out of town, you're just going to be missing out on some really sweet fellowship and an offering to bring your best before the Lord. Whatever that looks like. And to be quite honest, unless you really, really, really feel led for that to be your gift, I don't want to see any money on there. Not a dime. I want to see the best that you have to offer God. Because no matter what your life has been like and looked like, we have all been delivered. We all have a story to share and a life to live for God. And so I want to encourage and challenge you all to give Him your best, to really give a thanksgiving this year. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have delivered each and every one of us from the demons that we face in our day-to-day life, from our struggles, our trials, our burdens. I pray that you would help us to leave the best that we have to offer for you And I pray that you would help us to leave behind those burdens and those loads. Lord, that we would surrender both the best and the worst. That you would receive our true selves. You ask us in the book of Romans to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. And I pray that you would help us to do that actively each and every day. We lift these things up in the holy name of Jesus who delivers us. Amen.